0: We're going to um, continue in the book of Romans, and uh, we've had quite a journey in this chapter 12, and we got this week, and God willing, next week, and we'll complete it. And I've purposely slowed down, as I said a few weeks ago, because this is a very practical section that uh, affects us all. But just to pick up the context, what we're going to do is read from verses 9 through to the end of Verse 16. And uh, we'll be particularly addressing chapters, verses 14, 15, and 16 uh, today. So, Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I read the whole text there because this is a section, uh, the beginning of verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, or some of your translations will have the word sincere love, which is correct as well, because the rest of this chapter hangs on that, okay? It hangs on sincere love. And we'll be just making our way through this, and, um, and as I thought about this section today, I thought about how often all of us, and I even heard another example of that this morning, um, how one thing leads to another. And uh, I guess you all know that. You know, we begin to get involved in something, and before we know it, one thing leads to another. Another. And there is this kind of chain reaction of, of events that, that flow out of our original action. And uh, that original action, uh, that intention, it was maybe personal and very obscure and very small, so to speak. But before we know it, because of uh, that action, we are involving other people, we're involving other ideas, it involves... Other possibilities and opportunities. And sad to say that original action sometimes brings upon us unwanted difficulties. I was reminded of this last week when I came up here to see what Alex was doing in and around the place. I like to keep a check on that young fella, you know, and and uh, I've got a lot of confidence in him. But it's more than likely my inquisitive attitude, because I like to get my hands dirty as well. And as you see, all the paint over them, etc. But um, and when I came up here, I saw that Alex oh, it was on the Monday. I think it was. Yeah, it was a Monday. He was. He, his mission was the doors. We've got a number of doors here that were stuck, and because the building moves a bit, and and um, and so he he was his mission was to get all the doors moving and shutting, and he soundproofed it children's Sunday school room door over there and so forth and um, and I actually learned a lot off Alex that day because I learned that for doors to be treated properly they have to be taken off and dealt with properly and expertly before they are hung properly and and um, up to satisfaction but I soon learned that there was there was one door there was one door that we discovered together um, that was a problem and um, and I think we both saw the issue at the same time. The door that was attached to the door frame that was attached to the wall, the whole wall moved. You know? The whole wall moved. It was not attached to the actual floor. And so you no know, wonder the door wasn't closing properly in six, etc. So here was Alex having to deal uh, with a loose wall before he could deal with a dodgy door frame, before he could hang his precious door. Yeah, you know, Alex is a doorman, right? He's a real doorman, he's a good doorman. And so he had to go right back. One thing led to another for Alex of that day. And I guess you've all been on similar situations. And uh, but not with doors, perhaps, because you leave those with Alex. And um, But how often in life one thing leads to another? Well Paul reminds his readers in this section that this is what practicing sincere love will involve as we've read in verse 9. Practicing sincere love without fail it will always have wider implications it will always involve other people. Now sincere love is to be practiced, yes, in the church, as we've been looking specifically so far, but sincere love involvement, it doesn't stop there, folks. It doesn't stop there. Practicing sincere love will, will, will involve not only those whom we love, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but it will spread wider to everybody else whom the Lord chooses to put across or send across our paths. And including those hard to get on with people, those hard to get on with work colleagues, and even those who we might term our enemies. The Lord brings people like that across our paths, know. Right? And so this section we're looking at today is a little bit like that loose wall that Alex had to deal with last week. And um, it caused him so much grief, but he dealt with it very quickly. You know, Alex, the doorman, he, he, he would not be a sincere doorman if he did not give the same attention to the door frame and also the same loving attention to that offending loose wall. He would not be a sincere doorman if he didn't deal with the one thing that led to another. You get the picture? Folks, the Lord providentially sends all sorts of people across our paths in life. And if we truly love the Lord, if we truly love the Lord, we will want to love sincerely as the Lord loves. So that will mean our sincere brotherly love and devotion. It'll be on the move as we've got up here. It'll be on the move. It will have wider implications than our church community. It will lead from one to another to another. Believers and unbelievers alike. Even including those very difficult cases. So how do we do this? How do we sincerely love all kinds of people? Well, I've got a few uh, headings, just a few brief headings up there. And the first way is, you only bless but never curse your oppressors. We see this in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Now to call this command difficult would be probably the understatement of the year. I'm sure you would agree. It is difficult because what sincere love demands, it runs contrary to our unredeemed human natures. Runs contrary to them. But make make no mistake, folks, this is how we as believers are called to react, to respond. However, the old saying is very true. We all know it. It's easier said than done, right? After all, when I hear these words of Paul or read these words of Paul, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, uh, my response is not, yes, Lord, as you wish, Lord. Now, I'm being Really open here, so I'm sorry if I'm bursting in a bubble thinking I'm some super spiritual guru that does does anything wrong here. No, no, I'm more prone to do this. I'm more prone to immediately strike back at any person that would, um, you know, come across at me in a wrong way. That's my, that, that can be my tendency. I'm more likely to complain and vent my anger, my frustration, my shame, or the shame they put on me. On on anyone with a sympathetic ear, and that's usually my wife. Before I would ever think of extending a blessing to an undeserving perpetrator. Now I'm being really open and honest here, right? So I'm just probably an ordinary person. Maybe a little like you. Probably worse than you. But to bless them and not curse them is what we're called to do, folks. So how are we to bless these difficult walls, I call them, that bring so much grief to us or can bring so much grief to us? Well, what Paul is saying here is essentially the same as what Jesus said in uh, his Sermon on the Mount. We have that in Luke 6 and we have it again in Matthew 5 to 7. He says, I say to you, this is what he says, I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. This is what Jesus said. And then he goes on to say further on in Luke Luke chapter 6, And if someone strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And if someone takes your cloak, do not withhold your shirt from him either. So what Paul is saying here is a sort of a similar track. It's basically an exposition of this sermon that Jesus gave, as we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And so the attitude of sincere love is completely or can be completely different than our, or is completely different than our unredeemed attitudes of hypocritical love. It's not sincere. Because what that does, it demands vengeance when the going gets tough or when our prideful ego is challenged. Sincere lovers in Jesus Christ will bless and not curse those who bring harm or spew out to us ridicule and disdain upon us. It will bless and not curse. Of course, when we're thinking of of blessing and, and and the act of blessing, this is ultimately God's work. But here in the context, we see that as we have the potential to curse people. That is, when I say a curse, what this means is, that is to wish, wish negative and hope for negative, spiteful and vengeful things to happen to them. That's what it means. You don't have to actually go out and verbalize a curse upon them. No, no, no. Then It simply means to, to, to hope for and long for and, and, and wish for negative, nasty things to happen to them. Because we believe that they deserve this. Because of what they've done and usually toward us. And so as we have that potential, I believe in the context here, we also have the potential through the power of God in us, through the power of God in us, to bless them with good, even though they do not deserve it. In other words, folks, as those who sincerely love, we are never ever to curse those who do us harm, but to bless them. That's the message. And that is... Talked about cursing. What it is. That is, to bless them is to, is, to, is to do this. It's to treat them as if they're your friends. That's what blessing means. That's how you can bless people. That's how you bless people. And, but never our enemies. We're to treat them as our friends, not our enemies. You see, the Lord instructed his disciples on one occasion. Uh, you know, when he sent them out on a mission. There's about seven of them. He says, okay, this is what you've got to do. You've got to go out. And, um, and then he gave them some last words of instruction. He says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Have that in Matthew chapter 10. And so that's the truth of this text here. When trouble and persecution of any kind is heaped upon us. Be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. This is the command that sincere love will extend and move itself to. In order to obey, it will bless and never curse. That's the calling for our transformed minds to heed to in regards to sincerely loving those who persecute us. But to respond in love or friendship towards those who give us grief, it goes against the grain, as we said before. It's difficult, right? It's really difficult. You know, someone says something nasty or you hear of something that says nasty towards you, to respond back, probably most of the cases we won't respond at all. We'll be indifferent. We will say, "Oh, whatever—that's their problem." That's generally what we would do, but that's not what we're told to do here. But as we we think about this, responding in friendship and love—that's the point of this passage. You see, sincere love—you know when it's shown the most clearly, when it's directed towards those who deserve it least. Just, it's a little bit like just as we show the depth of our faith most clearly when we go through times of testing and difficulty. right? That's when our faith will either shine or it'll flag when the tough time comes. And so that's how it is with sincere love. We show God's love, sincere love, working in us most clearly when we love those who oppose us. Just as Jesus said when looking down from the cross. When you think of the hateful and the spitefulness and the wickedness was heaped upon them. He said, Father, forgive them for for they know not what they do. We need to see past the actions. And focus on the deep spiritual need of those who offend and insult and ridicule us. And may we be encouraged to do that. And my next point is, we see this in verse 15 we do empathize with others paul again what he does here is he paints another picture of what sincere love looks like towards believers or unbelievers rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep now we can tag this sincere love trait as showing empathy i believe that is that we feel with another person what they are feeling And sometimes that's pretty difficult because, you know, when we're going through a difficult time, you'll have someone to come alongside us and quite often you'll hear the reaction or the response, oh, but you don't know how I feel. And that may be true to some extent, but what we hear, we're, to, we're encouraged to empathise. We said rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So it covers a huge amount of emotional upsets, etc., etc. But as I was thinking about this, how true it is, That a burden shed is a burden hard, right? And that's not my saying. That's an old one. And there is an element of truth in that. You see, when someone comes alongside us and listens and feels with us, us and our sorrow and our grief, whatever it might be, you know what it does? It does, whether you believe it or not, it lessens the pain. It lessens the pain. It really does. I've had a number of circumstances over my life where in pain and anguish and in cases of not knowing what to do, what to do, and where another brother in the Lord has come alongside and, and all he's done is just listened as I poured my heart out to him. And he felt with me in my turmoil. Listen to the pain. Remember Job? He went through such traumatic upheaval. And then what happens? And then along comes his three friends. You know what they did? They sat with him for seven days in absolute silence. If only they had done that and not carried on because they increased his pain then. But they sat with him for seven days in absolute silence, throwing dust over themselves as a sign of and an indication of they were feeling and empathizing with Job. Now, I'm not calling you to sit in the ground and throw dust over yourselves when any of us are going through times of grief because that was purely a cultural thing. But you must admit, these guys knew what it was and they were certainly carrying out the this empathy with one who was suffering. Now, folks, that is what sincere love will do. It will share in the pain of those who suffer. I wonder if you have ever experienced that. Have you been... In a low spirit, maybe low in physical health, and, and, um, and it just drags your spirit down, as it were. And someone goes out of their way to visit and then just sit and listen and spend time with you in order to empathize with you in your pain. Does that ever happen? You know, often people do not engage in this ministry. I call it an empathy ministry. Because of various reasons. And some of the common ones is because, well, I just feel too uncomfortable in that situation. Another one is, well, I could go and visit them in hospital or I could go and visit them in their home or whatever, but I wouldn't know what to say. That's not my ministry. These are some of the excuses that you'll come. Can I say, really, at the core of many of those, I'm not saying all of them, but many of those types of responses is plain selfishness. Because my advice would be, yeah, go and visit them, but don't say a thing. Say, hey, I'm here to come and empathise with you and feel with you. I've got nothing to say. I haven't got words. I'm not a great, eloquent person, but I'm here. And sit down with them. And it won't be a a wake or anything like that, because before you know it, you'll hear the person speaking and you'll be interacting with it. But let them do the speaking. Some of the always remember, some of the most wonderful times, remember Malcolm and Lorraine Sabine, they're both with the Lord now. Lorraine contacted cancer, then a few months later, Malcolm contacted cancer, and we all expected Lorraine to die first, but Malcolm died, and then Lorraine died. And and many of us had the joy of visiting them, visiting them in their home and their hospital and empathising with their pain. There are occasions where I went up there and I just wept with Malcolm. And and he was the one that put his weak arm on my shoulder. He said, It's all right. I'm I'm fine. I'm going home to be with the Lord. And so I sat and listened. You see, it's not our feelings that are the issue when we empathize with people in their pain, it's not our feelings that are the issue. It's their situation that should be the focus of our sincere love. May we learn to be like God, who was full of compassion, folks. Full of compassion. James 5.11 tells us that. So Steve had brought to us a month or so back. We see this compassion and tenderheartedness of Jesus when, when, he, when he wept tears over the grave of Lazarus. For it was there that he, he mingled his tears with those of Mary and Martha. He wept with those who wept. John 11, 35. And then on the flip side of this, we also see that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. You see that? Now, I'm sure you have noticed that a joy in life is increased dramatically when it's shared with others, Right? When we go back to New Zealand, which we do once a year, I do, but I may sometimes twice a year, actually we're due to go back there um, next week for a family reunion. But I always make sure there's a fishing trip arranged during this day. I love fishing and my son-in-law has a beautiful big boat and we spend days out on the sea fishing. And, um, and there's usually a whole family of us there, and we all go out. And, and, and attached to a fishing trip, there is always an exciting competitive spirit that goes on board the boat. Okay? And uh, this competitiveness is over who's going to hook the biggest. Okay? Our sonics are pretty competitive when it comes down to that. Uh, and, and when that person does catch the, uh, the biggest, I was going to say it's usually me, but I won't well, this morning. But, uh, um, that person is pretty chuffed about that. He's pretty chuffed. But you should see and feel how the joy and celebration increases tenfold when everyone else celebrates and rejoices with you. You parents out there. Know the joy of having children. But what an increase of delight and joy it is to take your little baby and show him or her off to your friends who also share the joy in your new child, right? Great occasion. Steve, even though he's got a gammy leg, I'm pretty sure it's more gammy today than it was yesterday. And the reason is he played. He couldn't resist having some shots at golf. And he had some excellent shots. Believe me, he did play some good shots. Alex did one good shot. No, two good shots. But Steve played some excellent good shots. What a selfish scoundrel I would be if I held my tongue and never gave honour where honour was due. I would be, right? Right? To feel with someone in their pain, you see, okay, we may be able to get through with that and do that. That's one thing. But do we perhaps, with the same enthusiasm and the same willingness, rejoice with others and their successes with the same willingness and empathy? Do we do that? You see, folks, sometimes it's more difficult to rejoice with someone because. Their times of blessing and joy and success. You know what it does? It makes us feel like we have underachieved or maybe missed out or maybe come last. And this attitude, if not checked, you know what I'll do? If not checked, it can develop into full-blown, self-focused envy that cries out in the end for that person's demise. And do you know what the writer of the Proverbs says about those who delight in the demise of others? It says this. The person who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. It's a sin to be glad at someone else's calamity or to be selfishly focused when someone else succeeds and you to sort of... We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice, folks, especially of those for those of the household of faith. Paul described this attitude in this when saying to the Corinthians, "If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it." First Corinthians twelve twenty six. One commentator rightly spoke wrote on this. He said, "This to rejoice to refuse to rejoice with another reveals envy in your own heart. To refuse to weep with another is to reveal a lack of compassion in your heart. Either way, you have a serious problem." May we learn to have empathy with others. And finally, we're called to live in harmony with others. We see this in verse 16. I love how the ESV translation puts this. Um, what have we got here? Have I Okay. Um, I like how the ESV translation puts this uh, where it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own estimation. We're to live in harmony with others. In simple English, what this means is, we as believers who love sincerely are uh, to get along with other people. That's the call. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, states this Christians should be easy to get along with he is talking that's, G, that's Paul here he is talking about not making sparks or causing turmoil he is saying we should not be like those Christian crusaders who are always looking for a fight or hunting down Christ's enemies we are to love and win people not root them out to beat them senseless end quote Usually the last words of a dying person are words that we would take note of and always listen to and always remember because they're usually very important. And some of the last words of the Lord Jesus when he was living here is no exception. And he prayed in the garden. In John 17, there's a record of his prayer. This is what he prayed. And I'm not going to read the whole prayer out, but I'll just give you the whole kernel of it. It says, he prayed that his followers would be what? they would be one with each other, that there would be unity. He prayed that there would be such a unity among his people that the people of the world, the people that the Lord brings across our paths, the one thing that leads to another kind of deal, he prayed that all those people watching on would be attracted to Jesus himself by the way his followers treated each other. This getting along with people sounds simple, but life experience proves otherwise. For too often, you know, we Christians can be judgmental about us. We can be too harsh. And people can be, and we can be so quick to turn our backs on others. Also, some Christians have this lame idea. Some Christians have this lame idea. If I lay low, if I just don't get too involved with this Christian community or with this church or whatever, if I just put an appearance and just hang back, that way I will never get myself into any kind of conflict or in any kind of situation that will cause me any unwanted grief. That, folks, is nothing but false humility and selfishness at its core. Conflicts are a part of life. Ask Steve about this. He gave a seminar, an in step conference that was on conflicts, wasn't it? Conflicts are a part of life. And as long as we are different and we, every single one of us here are, are here, even though we're one in the Lord and there's unity, there will be differences of ideas, there will be differences of opinions. But you know what? The Lord uses that when they may be coming into conflict sometime. The Lord uses that to mold us and to build our characters. You see, when faced with any kind of conflict, we are then, you know what happens? We are forced to decide how we're going to respond to the situation. How are we are going to respond to this person who has a different idea, maybe which you even don't agree with. And that's okay. You're forced to decide, how am I going to respond? Are you going to respond with anger? Are you going to respond with frustration, with indifference, with apathy or hostility? Or are you going to respond with grace and peace and mercy and love? That's what conflict does. That's how it moulds us and makes us. And so if you put yourself in a non-conflicting situation, you're going to be one dead, droll, kind of person. We need to be easy people to get along with, right? And that's not necessarily avoiding conflict. But sometimes we forget things too, folks. And I'm included in this, remember, we forget things. We tend to forget that we're not always right about everything. Now, this may be news to to some of you, but um, we're not always right about everything. As I said, myself included. We always forget that too often, we forget too often that everyone has something to teach us. It's not the academics. It's not the theologian, the 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 pastor who's got the degrees, etc., that knows it all. No, they don't have the premium on truth and spirituality and what's right and what's wrong. No, being of the same mind toward one another is treating each other impartially, no matter who they are or where they are in their spiritual journey. One is not above the or below the other. Yes, we are in different stages of our spiritual walk with the Lord, but we're all saved by God's grace and are all on the narrow road that leads to eternal life, right? This is what being of the same mind is. Open and willing to learn truth, to teach truth, and to edify one another, to build us all up in the Lord. We are to never, ever treat others as second-rate citizens of the kingdom. Never. You see, sometimes, folks, we also forget... We also forget the Christian life is not a competition. It's not a competition where we rank people according to our idea of spirituality. In other words, if you don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, you're okay. But if you do this and do this and do this, you're not okay. No, 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 that's, that's not the deal. That's legalism. We never ever want to get into the idea of, of ranking people. The Christian life is about relationship. That's what it is. It's not about a ranking. It's all about personal relationship with Jesus Christ who has joined us together with him and with one another as a family of God's children and we equally, equally need one another. Let us be those who increasingly learn to live in harmony with one another and all that that means. What we see in... And verse 16 is closely associated, or next in verse 16, is is closely associated with with living in harmony. And, And that is not being haughty in mind, it says. Or do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Another translation. You see, this whole verse could have one word written right over it to sum it up its meaning. Humility. In other words, the one who sincerely loves, he will never ever self-aggrandize themselves above others. They're not the kind of person to say, well, I'm worth it, like the L'Oreal shampoo ad say, says. I deserve it because of. Now, dear, I say it, but we can easily fall into this trap by default especially upon learning of a believer's sin or or maybe some unwise decision that a person has made, a fellow believer has made. Yes, he or she might need a rebuke or a word of counsel, but never ever should we consider ourselves above them because of what they might have done. Never. Remember the Apostle Paul's words to the Galatian believers? He said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That puts a good spin on it, doesn't it? The right spin. You see, folks, humility is a trademark of sincere love and to sincerely love is to be humble. Of course, our great example of humility in action was Jesus Christ himself. When he associated with people, whether they were religionists or his own disciples or the outcasts of the day that were treated as outcasts by the locals, he always treated them as people and never as... Those who were just labels. He saw their spiritual need and he went all out to mix and associate with them to minister to them. Of course, a supreme example of humility was when he, when he humbled himself and he took on the form of servant, servant and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And in his life, remember, on another occasion, he, he, he bent down and he washed his own disciples' feet. My dear people, he also warned and encouraged his followers over and over. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A warning and a promise. It was once truly said, Being humble is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's a good take on it, isn't it? Folks, sincere love will always lead us into the lives of others from one person to another to another as the Lord providentially brings them into our lives. What do these people see when they come into your life? It's a good question, right? Do they see a sincere love where you're willing to listen and show friendship and bless them even when they oppose you or maybe dislike you? Do I see that? Are you an easy person to get along with even when there are times of conflict maybe? Do you respond with humility and grace and love? I ask myself these questions as well. Do you make a habit of rejoicing in the success and joys of others rather than keeping the lid on it? And then go and vent silently the envies of your heart? Are you increasing in Christ-like humility where you put others first and think of your own interests and self less? May we all grow in our sincere love for one another and for all people that the Lord brings into our lives.